This is Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm Paul Ingalls today with Hannah Colton. When some people talk about peace music, certain genres and artists tend to get left out of the conversation. I think any record, certainly in hip hop, which attempts to reveal truth, produce justice, and produce correctness, is a peacemaking record. Hip hop music often gets a bad rap. Critics speculate about its negative influence, from hypersexual music videos to glamorizing guns and drugs. A 2018 Washington Post headline quoted jazz musician Wynton Marsalis calling popular hip-hop, quote, more damaging than a statue of Robert E. Lee, unquote. And also in 2018, police in the UK were cracking down on drill rap groups whose lyrics, they say, incite violence. Well, today on Peace Talks Radio, Hannah Colton explores the history of hip-hop as a force for peace with one documentarian and one artist. First, we'll hear from Harry Allen, hip-hop activist and, quote, media assassin. He's written for publications including The Village Voice and The Source, Essence, and Wired magazines. His title, Media Assassin, Allen says, refers to the accuracy and efficient lethality of his analyses. Plus, he said, well, people in hip-hop should have cool names. Allen was born in 1963 in New York City. His parents were immigrants, natives of Costa Rica, of Jamaican descent. And they moved the family out to Long Island, well away from the park jams where pioneering DJs and MCs were creating hip-hop music in the South Bronx. Allen told our interviewer, Hannah Colton, that he first heard hip-hop on the radio when he was just 14. I remember when we were in high school, we had a, a student radio station. We did a show and we had a newscast. We did all this stuff before classes. And I remember um, playing the Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel um, on one of those radio shows. Yeah, what's happened to the tree? white girl who was our engineer said what is this wreck the record i'll never forget it and at first i thought she was joking i thought she was just poking fun but she was truly outraged by the sound of this that wasn't the reaction that i had to hip-hop or any aspect of it when i first heard it my reactions were typically ones of pleasure but others had other kinds of reactions. But I say I had the reaction I had because my culture had prepared it for me. My culture had laid down the seeds of cognizance, I guess you'd say, so that by the time hip-hop arrived, it made perfect sense. It, it was just, it fit. When I heard it, it fit. Say more about that. Like, what elements of it fit so well into your experience? Like the feel, the sound, the lyrics, all of the above? Was it a particular artist? Well, first of all, the sounds of black people's voices, the, the actual timbres and, and accents and um, wordplay and, 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 and the preponderance upon rhythm as a way of communicating feeling. You know, I, 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 did, a, I did a piece... Um, for Essence magazine. It was the first center of the book piece on hip hop for the magazine. This was in 1989. And I begin the piece by describing what sounds like a cipher, P 
people, you know, clapping, making beats and somebody rhyming. And then I reveal to the reader this is actually something called Pat and Juba, which is a style of, of outside performance that was performed by enslaved Africans during the period of slavery in the United States. That when you hear a description of it, it sounds exactly like, like any cipher that you'd hear today, but is a antecedent to these forms. So I think in general that the things that make black music black music are transmitted uh, culturally and environmentally and that um, if you're black those things fit you and if you're not you have to probably learn them and you learn them by either being around black people or just opening your mind sufficiently wide or or putting other things that are obstacles out of the way um, however you do so how did you come to be a, a hip-hop activist um, and a journalist and writer? I decided to do so. Um, I very early um, came to the conclusion that hip-hop was a new form of black culture, that, that I was actually watching a new form of black culture arise, and that it was significant. It was significant in the way that that jazz had been significant, that... Um, R&B had been significant, that hip-hop was and would be important. And I also came to the conclusion, because of other things that I'd seen and heard, that what typically happens to black culture when it's produced natively is that it is it is, is heard, rejected, uh, condemned, studied, accepted, absorbed, and that... Uh, the creators of it are, for the most part, forgotten. Hmm. That was an understanding you had even as a teenager. Particularly, particularly the idea of people being forgotten, particularly the idea that hip-hop itself could be forgotten and the contributors. And, and this was due to a very unique experience that I had. Uh, not unique, I would say. I would say specific. Um, Bill Cosby, who was um, at that time, not notorious, had uh, produced a documentary. It was called Black History, Lost, Stolen, or Strayed. All right. Daniel Hale Williams first performed open heart surgery successfully. Now, this list could go on forever. Blacks who made history, but who didn't get into the history text at all. And in it, he talked about contributions, typically in the form of inventions and other kinds of discoveries made by black people uh, that had come to influence either the world generally or American culture specifically, the creators of which who had become forgotten or who died penniless or, you know, had all the kinds of misfortunes. And um, on the basis of, of the impact this made on me, it became an understanding I had that if you didn't take particular care regarding the culture or the creations, the output of black people, what was likely to happen was that the knowledge of those creations would go away, would just be lost. And so I decided that what I would do is I would write. I would write about them. I would take care in meeting and talking to and documenting and writing about uh, the people who made hip-hop culture. 
and that's what got me into writing. That's what got me into activism on its part. So, so when I, when I say activism, what I mean is that I realize that one could act on behalf of hip hop culture. One could do things, say things that made hip hop better or created a better environment for hip hop. But then I also had another idea ultimately that through hip hop, one could act on behalf of other things. One could, for example, through hip hop, get people to understand historical facts or one could through hip hop uh, bring the youth to the voting booth. One could do things through hip hop that were active and one could be active for hip hop through other things. I just knew that um, by the time that hip hop came out, I had this sense. I had this sense about black cultural goods that um, they were endangered upon birth. That's a really strong. Um, that's a really strong sense of purpose or sense of urgency to have as a as a kid that age. I think it is. I actually think it is. Um, I don't know that I've reflected upon it much, except to note that that this is how I entered. That I didn't. I didn't enter writing the culture because other people were writing about it. I did it because other people weren't. Um, I didn't do it to meet artists or to, I didn't know you could get free records at first. I didn't do it to get records. I didn't know you could get tickets to shows. I didn't do it for that reason either. I just did it because um, I thought it had to be, there had to be something that if, if, if I documented it, that would make it a little harder to say it didn't happen or that it happened this way when it actually happened this way. That's hip hop documentarian, Harry Allen speaking with producer Hannah Colton. Later in the episode, we'll hear more from Alan again about why mainstream American culture doesn't typically consider hip-hop a peacemaking type of music. But first, let's get into a little more hip-hop history with our next guest, Brother Ali. He's a Minneapolis-based rapper, community organizer, and spiritual leader. Now, to understand Ali's relationship to hip-hop culture, you need to know a bit about his identity. Brother Ali is white. He was born albino and partially blind. And he tells Hannah Colton that his family moved around a lot when he was a kid. And I basically was in a situation where I had to navigate being a new kid in school almost every year and then also looking really different and having these physical limitations. And it was really difficult for me. Um, There were people that were really cruel and it didn't really feel like anybody was defending me or standing up, you know, for me. So it kind of felt like the whole world was against me. My mom had this idea when I was seven years old to dye my hair and to make it blonde because it's normally white. And she said, we'll get some tinted glasses. And when you switch schools, nobody will know you're an albino. So we went we went through this like arduous process of trying to figure out how to do it. I have a song about this called Pray For Me, where I describe, you know, this kind of the process. And what eventually ended up happening is that they finally did dye my hair. And I was, it never looked quite right, but I don't, nobody knew that I was an albino except for me. And basically what had happened internally is that I had tried to look more like the people that were demoralizing me. And it kind of co-signed the idea that something was wrong with me. So my natural hair that grew out every couple of weeks, we had to go get that re-dyed and touched up so that, um, you know, we could keep the secret. And... 
you know, there was a, a African-American woman that worked at my school that really kind of took a liking to me and took me in and gave me a lot of like tutoring and love. And she basically explained to me that uh, she used music to do it, but she basically showed me that, you know, dyeing our hair or straightening our hair. She was t- taught me about the African-American experience of like living in white standards of beauty and uh you know, going through the process of perming the hair and processing the hair to try to look more acceptable to white people. And that eventually there was the Black is Beautiful movement that said, we're going to literally cut all that out of our hair, grow it naturally, and embrace ourselves. And we're going to learn to love ourselves the way that we naturally are. We're going to understand that to be a gift, understand ourselves to be beautiful. And it's going to have to be secondary if other people agree with us or not. And you know, so that was a process that I went through that really taught me how to learn. Learn. It really taught me to navigate the world and how to be in the world, and how I could exist and um, you know live life with dignity and with meaning. And it, it really put the the power of my own identity back in my hands. And so um, I realized that this woman knew some things because of her experience that my mom didn't know. You know, in all of her, you know, wonderful intentions and love, she cared about me. She didn't want me to be demoralized and dehumanized anymore. She didn't want me to be ridiculed. She didn't want people to be cruel to me. And, you know, she was a Eastern European woman who was adopted by a Norwegian family. And so she dyed her hair blonde to fit in with her family. And so she figured, well, we'll just do that, you know. Um, But what I realized is that because of the experience of the African-American woman, she was able to give me something that my mom didn't have. And so that kind of started me on this, the path of, you know, after that, I cut my hair and I grew my natural hair out. And, you know, the, the, all of my friends and all the people in my life were all black. And that led to, you know, um, black cultural expressions being really like normal to me and being closer and nearer to my experience and then also religious tradition. So I ended up being a hip hop artist and from the time that I was a little kid um, and then also ended up becoming a Muslim through the African-American Muslim experience. You talk about the genius of hip hop and really honoring um, the black culture that it comes from. I mean, why do you why do you think that that in particular is important to to spread and for people to understand? You know, the enslaved Africans and their children have provided all of the cultural expression that have come from this project of America. Um, Certainly all of the musical expression. Hip-hop is the extension of that musical tradition that comes from West Africa. And when you look at what hip-hop was before the corporations came in and just completely took it over, basically, like, you know, economically colonized the music... It really was an expression of every part of life. Uh, so I, I always compare it to a meal. If you think that, you know, there was certain things that were like an appetizer, meaning that there was like rap that was just happy music. Bernie Mac called it happy rap. So, you know, the Fresh Prince, Kid and Play, Heavy D, you know, there was certain music that was just really jovial, joyous music. Like we're just, this is to party, this is to smile. This music will make you feel happy and it's light. Um, then you had maybe the, the main course, which was 
cultural excellence. Uh, these are people like Rakim and Queen Latifah and Big Daddy Kane uh, and Ice Cube and others that were really just about, I'm going to do this art form excellently. I'm going to take the art form to the highest level possible in terms of the technicality of what I'm doing. Then you also had music that was like vegetables, like it's, this music is intentionally and expressly good for you. Uh, so, you know, I think about Public Enemy and X-Clan. There's music that's like conscious hip-hop music. And then also there was street music that was talking about street life. The ex they, they talked about the excitement of doing crime, but they also talked about the stress of it. They also talked about the pain of going to prison or losing one of your friends or your mother being disappointed with you. They, they, they didn't just glorify it. So they talked about they talked about it from an inside perspective. And then you had music that was dessert. So it was like, I think about like Two Live Crew, for example, that like this music's about sex. It's about, uh, you know, having nice things, just being satiate, satiated. At that time, you had the full course meal and all of it was seen as the same music. You know, they were all seen as hip hop. It was a, like a community kind of thing. And... They actually, in the street culture, used the art to settle disputes. And there was a, a, a movement to replace violence, like actual physical violence, with cultural competition. Which, by the way, elevates the entire cultural expression. The art form gets elevated by that competition. And even if you don't say anything that we would consider conscious now, to just honor the art form, you're actually honoring the people. So when people, be, when people, you know, honor the cultural expression, what you're saying is my people are important uh, and my people have value and the way we express ourselves is important because we're important, you know. And when you're in a, a marginalized community that's dehumanized, demoralized and, and, you know, pushed to the fringe, that's extremely important. So that was the case until uh, corporations saw that, okay, this is another thing that black people have created that... America is ready to accept. So they basically come in and they say, there's one type of music that we're going to push. And it's a sp very specific strain of what they would call gangster rap. You know, that's really when you start to see a change. And, you know, there were definitely were decisions that were made about which parts of this music will reach the radio and which won't. Uh, so, f you know, you still have artists that do really amazing work. Uh, that are making really incredible hip hop music that, that are about, you know, beauty and dignity and joy and love and they're humorous and all of the parts of a complex human being are still coming through this music. Uh, but that's not the music that reaches the radio. And there's still there there clearly were really intentional decisions that were made to do that, to make it that way. What's your understanding of how hip hop fits into the history of peace or anti-violence movements in American history? Hip-hop is the anti-violence movement of American history. Um, the word hip-hop comes from uh, Africa Bambata. Um, unfortunately, Africa Bambata's story has an asterisk by it uh, because of some really disheartening allegations about him that people can research if they'd like to. Uh, it's also true that Africa Bambata saw uh, in, the, in the Bronx in the mid-70s, 
he saw all these street organizations um, that are called gangs now. I don't like using the word gangs. I think that's a dehumanizing term. But in any case, you know, drugs get introduced by the government. Uh, there are uh, congressional hearings about this. It's not a conspiracy theory that crack was specifically introduced into the black community. These groups turn into gangs. Africa Bambada is a gang leader in the South Bronx in the mid-70s. And he is the one that noticed that we have this cultural phenomenon of rapping and DJing and graffiti art and dancing. Uh, and then also, you know, that this is a unified culture. And he called it hip hop. He unified these. And he says the four elements are those, you know, DJing, emceeing, graffiti, art and breaking. And the fifth element will be knowledge of self. And so he unites them under the umbrella of the universal Zulu nation with hip hop being the means by which, uh, you know, these 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 groups would start to settle their differences. And it really happened. My wife is is from the South Bronx. You know, her aunts and uncles and parents have, you know, I've sat with these people in their homes and they've told me about this reality in the mid to late 70s and even into the early 80s. There was a period of time where this music and this culture really represented to the people that were at its very foundation of formation uh, was a was a peaceful and was a peacemaking reality. And so they would say that the virtues that drive hip hop are peace, unity, love, having fun. That is rapper and community organizer Brother Ali speaking with producer Hannah Colton. We'll hear more from him later in the show today. And to hear Hannah's complete interview with Brother Ali, visit our website, peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com. Click on the June 2018 episode and then click on the picture of Brother Ali. Today on Peace Talks Radio, we're digging into the peacemaking legacy of hip-hop culture. We'll have more after this break. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. We're online at peacetalksradio.com. I'm Paul Ingalls, today with Hannah Colton, and we're talking about the peacemakers of hip-hop culture. That's a phrase that non-hip-hop listeners might find a little bit strange and even contradictory, and our guest, hip-hop documentarian Harry Allen, has some ideas about why. Here's more of his interview with Hannah Colton. You remarked that you hadn't heard anyone writing or devoting a lot of time specifically to the idea of peacemaking and hip-hop. Why do you think that is? Well, I think, um, wow, it's such a good question. And um, I think one one reason is that hip-hop has become incredibly commercial. 
And because it's so commercial, I think that that overall people attach it to commercial activities. Are you saying that's sort of contrary to the to its to its origins? Yes, because you're talking about a music, you're talking about really like grassroots folk music. You're talking about a music that began in the hands of teenagers in a part of New York that had just been written off, that was literally being burned for insurance money, the South Bronx. There was certainly no hope <laughs> for hip hop when it appeared. There was certainly no expectation, I think, in general, that it would it would become the dominant force of music in the United States, which now which it now is like categorically, statistically actually. So I think I so so yes, I think that one reason is that hip hop's best or most compelling use to many people is commercial. I also think that um I think the way that peacemaking is formulated, the idea of it, I think tends to leave black people out of it for the most part. I guess what I mean is that peacemaking activities, the activities in which people engage are kind of like, to a great extent, defined within a white middle-class purview. They're also things that um, speak to a certain kind of leisure class. That is to say, like the things that one has to do to protest or to act on behalf of peace, the way it's commonly imagined, whether it means access to information or to the means to assemble people or, I don't know, the ability to get the day off. And I think also even even the belief and the sureness that this is a mode by which I will get what I want. Kind of like like in in the in the same sense the diff- the difference generally between the way white people talk to police when the police stop them and the way black people talk to the police. Um and I think for that reason that um it's I think it's harder to pull together black people for many of those same activities. Now, this does not of course disregard um either the, the activities that have been done in hip-hop for peaceful ends. And I'm mostly thinking here of like records that have been made to achieve a political end specifically or a group effort, whether it be a record like Stop the Violence, the Stop the Violence movement, um, Self-Destruction, um, or We're All in the Same Gang, which was a, a West Coast record put together by West Coast artists to protest gang violence. Um, I'm not putting that aside. I'm certainly not putting t- aside any number of efforts that were made, especially at the height of the civil rights movement, um, whether it be marches, uh, protests, sit-ins, sit-downs, you know, all, all those, all those uh, kinds of activities in which um, black people and often predominantly black people engaged um, and often in fear of the loss of life, like under the most serious punitive conditions. Um, and then again, I would also add that it just it even goes down to the question and down to the question of how when we say peacemaking, like what are we talking about when we say peacemaking or right. or peace? How is that defined? And I think even the question of how it's defined um, 
and what it means. Right. And I was trying to effects. not even decide that for myself, but just get a variety of of answers on that. You know, what, what I find in those Google searches, if I'm just, you know, looking around, seeing what different people say is it's like hippies, you know, anti-war, anti-Vietnam War, you know, pacifists and all these things are very like white associated. What if we were to define for ourselves peacemaking when it comes to music as like someone or a peacemaker as someone whose work, whose music has the material effect of reducing violence or reducing suffering? Who's Who do you think had that intent, if you had to guess, by their work? I, like I said, I'm not, I'm not sure... It, it seems to me that underneath that is still a question of what it, what do we mean by peace? So a lot of what you would call conscious, socially conscious hip hop artists will invoke um, Malcolm X. Like, you know, Brother Ali was very inspired by Malcolm X. I was listening to a Jasiri X song uh, where he quotes the Malcolm X speech where he says, But we don't love anybody who doesn't love us. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us. We, but we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. Uh, the day I wrote this and that's and that's generally seen, I guess, by by the white community as as radical or as the antithesis of someone like of of Martin Luther King Jr. But a lot of hip hop falls more on that radical spectrum. So can someone who's defined as a radical be also a peacemaker. Right. Yeah, see, um, and, and, and this question gets back to the statement you were making about looking up definitions of, of peacemaking and seeing um, things about the Vietnam War, or maybe the environment, you know, various conflicts. You didn't mention racism. Um, you didn't mention racism. And I think that... Um, so so I, I think that so much of white peacemaking activities are oriented around other things. Things um, other than racism, you mean? Other than racism, yes. And that for black people, racism and race is the like the primary concern because it's all enveloping. When you, when you have a when you have a person like Malcolm X, he's deemed radical and his claims for peace are not deemed credible by the mainstream, which is just another way of saying mostly white people. Uh, but his his claims are so radical because his situation is radical. His, his situation is racist distension affects every degree of his existence. There's no degree of his existence that isn't distorted by racism. None of it. And so that makes that makes that calls for radical kind of claims that I think to the white majority sounds insane, much the way that, you know, many or, or any number of um, black calls have been met with disbelief, uh, whatever it is, whatever it is that black people are or were complaining about or are complaining about, typically said to be overstated in some way. There are two fundamentally different understandings of America and American history at play. As in, 
black people's experience in America versus white people's experience in America. Yes. And, and it was supposed to be that way. I mean, in other words, black people were brought to the United States to to be slaves, to be property and to make the lives of white people more comfortable. So you're, you're talking about two stations that are definitively opposed. Well, and in the present day, there's no like, I guess all of black culture is is um, is a, a reaction and a and uh, attempting to heal and attempting to live from that reality of slavery. Whereas... Well, it's based in it. Right. As, 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 is, as is white culture. It's based in it. Right. But, but we don't... But white culture doesn't acknowledge it. Almost anything that, that black people object to very strongly, you're really talking about white people changing some dynamic of their culture in a radical way and change is often unpleasant radical change is downright infuriating and um i think it's i th- i think it's for those reasons that um that much of what you hear in hip hop is not going to be deemed or heard of or thought of as peacemaking music because the peace we desire the peace that we want goes directly through your living room. In other words, the the rappers, the hip-hop artists that you would see as peacemakers, their project is ending white supremacy. Like it's it's equivalent. Yes, the rapper yes, the rappers that um that I see as yes, the rappers that I see as peacemakers, their project is eliminating white supremacy and replacing it with justice. And doing that Taking on, taking on such a uh, such a project means calling the problem white, and there are millions of people who just are going to check out right there. <laughs> so I think for reasons like that, um, the question of why these artists are never seen in the category of peacemaking or peacemaking music or peaceful records is because. It doesn't. They don't even get to the stand. They don't even get out of the judges booth. Like it's like if you did a you know triple axel, and then the judges were just all offended by your triple axel, and just said, "I'm not even going to judge this." You're not going to get anywhere near the stands, even if your efforts are incredible. You know, I think any record, certainly in hip hop, which attempts to reveal truth, produce justice, and produce correctness is a peacemaking record. But I think that because so much of black life is subservient to the whims and desires and goals of white people, that really any attempt to get to truth, justice, and correctness is going to go through them. It's going to go through them literally and figuratively. And I don't think that because of that, we are going to get credit for being peacemakers. We're going to be seen as troublemakers, which is what Dr. King was called in his lifetime, a troublemaker. I would also add, you know, those records often just don't sound peaceful. Right. It's a particular aesthetic that white American culture thinks of as peaceful or peacemaking. I've said that to me, brother's going to work it out sounds like a prayer. And I'm a, a religious and spiritual person. And so 
I wouldn't say that unless I absolutely meant it absolutely very seriously. It's not the kind of thing I would say lightly, in other words. But it sounds like a prayer to me. The aesthetics of that record are very jagged and combustible. And Chuck is strident at the very least. He's um, bellicose. And those are ideas that don't normally go with prayer or with peace. But that's a that's a prayer for peace as far as I'm concerned. And so um, I just I think it's like trying to shh a drowning man. Even if you see a scene where someone's someone's in deep and dire straits and like someone's there to rescue them, they're trying to get them to be still and be quiet. Usually they fight them for a while, you know, until that person can calm down. And I think that um, I think on many levels and in many ways and historically that for black people, like the situation has been very dire. And so, you know, it's like when I said before that um, one of the things I realized much later after Jesse Jackson's presidential run was part of what made him distasteful as a quote unquote mainstream candidate was that for many white people hearing his speeches, they felt like they were being yelled at. But you keep on dreaming, young America. Dream of peace. Peace is rational and reasonable. War is irrational. And I didn't, I didn't hear that until later, that his preachers, Tomber and Gate, sounded assaultive to many white people. And I think if, 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 if these kinds of languages are so far apart, so far apart, not even to mention like the actual issue that for us, peace goes through white living rooms, white IRAs, white job hiring uh, processes, white leisure, that even added to that, that the language is so disparate. I think it's really hard to see um, what Jesse Jackson is doing as peaceful when he sounds like he's berating you. I think it's hard to see what Malcolm X is doing as peaceful when you feel like this man, this man is an outrage. So I, I think there's a issue about where we stand as people, like where we're positioned. And then there's also this language issue, this, this aesthetic issue, this art and cultural schism that makes it really hard for certainly what hip-hop artists do to be seen as peaceful. The language, the rhetoric, the style, the emotion, it's counter to what many people think of. You know, when they think, when you think of a peaceful record, you're thinking, come on, people now, join your brothers, everybody get together, right love. You know, that's, <laughs> that's only good as a sample in hip-hop. That's only good as a sample. It's like, like it's going to be a sample. It's just going to be like used before, you know. So um, it's just like wholly different frameworks for looking at the problem of peacefulness and peacemaking. Can you tease out that idea a little more about why um, the art form of hip hop is particularly powerful? What makes it so powerful compared to other types of dialogue when talking about, you know, contemporary racism 
in this country. When you say other kinds of dialogue, do you mean like... Like, like, like political dialogue or, you know, talk radio, mm. just other media in general, movies, um, yeah. other other types of music. Yes. I, I, think, I think the power, first of all, comes from its formal qualities that that when you're talking about rap records, rap music, you're talking about a, a kind of strident vocalese, a person in this uh, really usually direct and forceful way speaking to something, but then structured within rhyme. So there's an artistic, sensuous, actually, um, character to it. Uh, part of what makes a, a rhyme a pleasing thing is that it's almost like a countdown, like a person starts and then every X number of seconds they have to end by saying a word and then in the next couplet say another word that rhymes with the first. It's kind of a game. And then you also get points that you're putting rhymes and clever words in the middle of it. So it's got this it's got this artistic structure that is that has all the strengths of poetry the things that make poetry pleasant but you're not doing it in a poetic voice you're doing it in the voice of someone who has just walked out to his car and found a ticket on the window when he or she just stepped into a store for two minutes so you you might say in many instances it's taking the power of a spoken objection but making it art and artful and thus making it something that people want to hear and digest or something they absolutely do not want to hear and digest it can also be offensive for those reasons harry allen is a hip-hop activist and self-proclaimed media assassin who writes about hip-hop culture to hear the entire interview he had with hannah colton you can visit our website peacetalksradio.com This is Peace Talks Radio. We'll have more with both Harry Allen and Brother Ali as we explore peacemaking and hip-hop culture when we return in a minute. You're listening to Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. I'm Paul Ingalls, today with producer Hannah Colton. Today we're talking about hip-hop artists as peacemakers. Earlier in the show, we heard from Minneapolis rapper Brother Ali, who's white, but came to hip-hop early because he found solace and belonging in the black community. As a young man, Brother Ali converted to Islam, and in recent years he's become a spiritual leader. 
He addresses themes of spirituality in his 2017 album, All the Beauty in This Whole Life. He spoke about it with producer Hannah Colton. What are the issues around violence specifically that you wanted to address with that album? I think there's a number of them. I think the most obvious and and outward one is uh, I have a song that I wrote to my son. I've had many, I've written many songs to him throughout my career and throughout his life. He's gone from being a two-year-old, I think, when my first album came out, to now being, uh, you know, nearing his 18th birthday. Uh, So this particular song is called Dear Black Son, um, and this one deals with watching him make the transition in the eyes of society from being a cute little kid to being a black man and seeing the way that people navigate him and, you know, hold space with him, seeing that change a lot and um, the ways that that was, you know, that that's a really uh, difficult process to watch uh, because I know that the world doesn't see him the way that I see him. Let me show you how to move when the laws approach you. It's best to keep your hands where they can see them and try to understand that you're not even what they're peeping. They don't see a sweet kid that loves his little sister. Their mind is seeing 500 years of pictures. In fact, to me, he's a sweet kid. Um, but so are all these other, you know, that's the way that I see all these other people that are being killed by the police, these other young black men that are being killed by the police, you know. Philando Castile, for example, is somebody that lives in our lived in our community. So he was, you know, one degree of separation from us. He basically was he was part of our community, and he's a sweet guy, and everybody loved him. So um, I, I would say that that song probably deals with violence most specifically. Raising a man, you're slipping through my hands like grains of sand, and here I stand, trying to wrestle with the hourglass. Maybe see how long I can make an hour last. Dear Black Sun. Brother Ali, could you recommend one or two great hip-hop peace songs for our listeners to check out? The most important one to me is um, a song called Self-Destruction. Uh, KRS-One, uh, the the great you know uh, hip hop group Boogie Down Productions, the great MC KRS One, one of the foremost ambassadors for hip hop culture and history. You know KRS One was a homeless youth who lived in the Bronx, and his DJ was actually a social worker, uh, Scott LaRock, and they were working on a song called "Stop the Violence" and a movement about "Stop the Violence" and self destruction. While they were working on that, Scott LaRock, the social worker DJ that put this this rap group together that changed the face of hip-hop forever, he was actually mediating a dispute between people and he got killed, he got shot. Um, And so KRS-One, as a leader, created a movement called Self-Destruction, Stop the Violence, and they brought together, he brought together all of the big name rappers on the East Coast that he could get in a room at one time and they made a, a song, like a, this big kind of like, you know, we are the world type of song. We call eternity, where knowledge is forming, you learn to be self-sufficient, independent, to teach the each is what rap intended, but society wants to invade, so do not walk this path that they laid, it's self-destruction, self-destruction. There was a book that came along with it. And a lot of good was done. And so on the West Coast, there was a, uh, a, an effort that was 
uh, inspired by that called We're All in the Same Gang. So these are two that we can point to immediately. I also would say that there's one that women did headed by Queen Latifah called Ladies First. You know, so these are some of the, the, the ones that come to mind, you know, first and foremost. But I mean, the it would be easy to make a two hour playlist of songs that are about, you know, peace and peacemaking. You know, the, the traditions is really rich with that. Maybe we'll ask you to do that sometime, make that playlist. That'd be cool. You said that the ladies couldn't make it, you must be blind. If you don't believe what here, listen to this rhyme. Ladies first, there's no time to rehearse. I'm divine and my mind expands throughout the universe. A female rapper with a message to send. The Queen Latifah is a perfect specimen. My sister, can I get some? Sure, Moni Love, grab the mic and get dumb. Yo, praise me not for being simply what I am. Born in L.O. Indio and town American. You dig exactly where I'm coming from. You That's Ladies First by Queen Latifah and Moni Love. One of our guests, Brother Ali's recommendations for great peace songs in hip-hop. Our theme today is, of course, hip-hop as a force for peace. And talking with producer Hannah Colton about misconceptions around hip-hop culture, our other guest, Harry Allen, reflected on the racist actions and rhetoric that black people face in American society today. Yeah, even, even, even today, like, um, you'll hear people say, go back to Africa, which is just like, <laughs> which is just like the most, um, who is it? You mean yes. as like a, as like a trolley reaction to. As a trolley reaction or as a reaction from the president of the United States who says that if you don't, if you don't bend the knee, maybe you shouldn't be in the country to people who've probably been in the country and whose families have been in this country longer than his has. So what, what do you make of, the role of, I guess, conscious hip hop now? Like, what do you make up the fact that we're in a moment when we have a president who will say that flippantly? And also we have Kendrick Lamar winning a Pulitzer. What do you make of that? Like, those sorts of dichotomies right now? Or is that even useful to you? Well, I think I think what it what it says to me is that we're certainly in a moment of great potential certainly a, a moment of great potential for artists to the degree that they can or care to can fill fill the void fill the void with with another kind of reasoning a kind of reasoning that isn't news analysis you know another kind of reason another kind of critique and um and i think some are doing it i don't think that there's um I think um, I don't think that there's enough. I don't think that there is enough of it yet, and I don't think that there's enough regard for it yet. I don't think that there's. I don't think that the artistic statements that are being made in general are getting the light that they should, either on radio or in the coverage of these things and the coverage of of protests or objections. I don't think there, there hasn't been even a large hip hop, if you will, group record about, for example, this controversy over taking a knee and the flag. There hasn't been a, there hasn't been a a large statement yet to my knowledge from the hip hop community. So I think on one hand, it's a tremendous opportunity. I think on the other hand, I'm not sure, like I'm not sure if, if there's a will to do this currently. If there's a will to, to act, to speak, to, 
to say to make it happen? Um, you said that Parliament Funkadelic would be like what the party would sound like after white supremacy is over. <laughs> what what does that mean to you? Oh, such, such great questions. Um, yes, um, I said that. Yes, Parliament Funkadelic, and I'm not saying that's. I'm, I'm not saying that that's the intent that George Clinton had making that music. Um, but I'm saying that when 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 I hear it. What I hear is just something really impossible. Like he's set out to make really hard music to make, really hard music to make, um, and he's achieved it. And um, he's achieved it with great ease and great beauty. There's such such celebration in this music, such joy um, that the only conditions that I guess you might say are fitting or appropriate to music with so much so much happiness in it are the conditions that would exist after the race problem is gone. It's almost like a new normal. It's, it's, um, his records are so black and are so strange. It, it goes back to this idea of, of leisure time. It goes back to the idea of, of this thing called black genius of not only having the means to create incredible things, but then also having the environment that recognizes those things as incredible as uh, and and I, I think that you know I think that this is a, a way that this is where musicians often live. Musicians are often like pushing towards a statement of something that that's deep in their hearts or that doesn't yet exist, and trying to find a way to through music to maybe to describe and to say it. And I think for me, um, like I I remember um, I remember um, I was in Cleveland. Actually, the night I think that they had was it the f- the opening of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but I wasn't at the Hall of Fame. I was there for some other purpose, and I remember I was in a car with some people, and we were driving, knowing that this was going on that night, and I heard Zaps more bounce to the ounce come on, and I remember hearing it, and in that moment, realizing that this was a great piece of rock and roll. This was an amazing piece of rock and roll music. Like in all the ways that rock and roll is great music, this was a great piece of rock and roll music, but that it would never get, it would never get analyzed that way. It would never be heard that way. And it would not be heard that way because there's a whole lot of, it's a whole lot of stuff that blocks that, that blocks that understanding, that, that, that blocks the contemplation of it. And just for a moment, I was free enough to like hear it. And I think in the same way, I think that um, when I hear a record like Flashlight, um, like I, I'm just, I'm just like, this is like, this is impossible. This, this is like impossible. What he was, what he did with that record, what he, what he made, to put that together, and it's, it's so crazy and it's so free, 
that it's like to me it's the soundtrack of it's like what we it's like the first needle drop after white supremacy is over is gonna be flashlight and everybody's going to like go nuts that's what it feels like to me it, it suggests the freedom to be weird and to be open and to and to um to let it all out as such and i and i think that this is i think that that goal is a is a i think that goal is a huge part of black music and being black in music um and i and i say that just because if you're black what you know is not doing that you 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 know what you know is not doing that you 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 know about having to judge what you're going to do and be very certain that you say and don't say do and don't do certain things it's this it's the soundtrack to utopia when you don't have to be watching your back yes the soundtrack to utopia when you don't have to watch your back yes the soundtrack of utopia um just very free and very rhythmic very open but that's just me i mean you know i don't i i, I don't you know maybe clinton had something else in mind harry allen thank you so much for talking with me thank you That is hip-hop activist and writer Harry Allen, who calls himself the media assassin, speaking with Hannah Colton. You can hear more from him and from our other guest, Brother Ali, in our complete interviews with each guest at our website, peacetalksradio.com. That's peacetalksradio.com. Look for our June 2018 episode and click on either picture from one of our guests and you'll hear the complete interview. Music in this episode was by Grandmaster Flash, Brother Ali, Boogie Down Productions, the West Coast Rap All-Stars, Queen Latifah and Moni Love, Jasiri X, Public Enemy, and George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic. Peacetalksradio.com is where you go for audio from all the episodes in our series dating back to 2002. You'll also find transcripts, pictures, other websites, and resources that you can check out on a topic. And you can find out, too, how you can help support Peace Talks Radio, which is funded separately and apart from your public radio station or media outlet. We're our own nonprofit called Good Radio Shows Incorporated, and you'll see a clear path toward helping us continue this work at peacetalksradio.com. We had support from listeners like you and KUNM at the University of New Mexico. Nola Days Moses is our executive director. Ali Adelman composed and performs our theme music. For Hannah Colton, I'm Paul Ingalls. Thanks for listening to and for supporting Peace Talks Radio, the series on peacemaking and nonviolent conflict resolution. Peace.